Welcome to the Money Curious Podcast. I'm your host, Laura, and I'm joined by my awesome co-host, Essien. Money Curious is dedicated to bringing you the best financial content, whether you're a millennial, Gen Z, or even a boomer. If you want great wealth building tips, if you're looking into some side hustles, or even just knowing about different investment and debt pay down strategies, then this is the podcast for you. Now, before we get into today's show, I need you guys to do us a favor. Hit that subscribe button and leave us a rating and review on Apple Podcasts. You can also find us on all other major listening platforms and on Instagram at Money Curious Podcast. Today's guest is Calvin Pringles. He is a real estate agent located in the Tampa Bay area. Not only is Calvin a real estate agent, but he's also a real estate investor. We're going to cover a lot of very interesting topics today on how he became a very successful agent and investor. We talk about mentorship, networking, the importance of having a strong mindset, and even giving back to your community. Yeah, Calvin expressed to us that he does do a lot of volunteer work and has given him the opportunity to network with great people. So we're not just talking about real estate, but we're also talking about building connections. So keep on listening for more details. And with that, we'll get into the episode. Calvin, welcome to the Money Curious Podcast, man. How's it going? Oh, man, it's going good, man. Uh, it's a pleasure to be here and talk to you guys. You know, we talked before and really enjoyed our conversation and been following you guys for a little bit. So I'm excited. Absolutely. We're happy to have you on, man. Um, so everyone who's listening to us, they, uh, they want to get a background of who you are and what do you do? Do you mind just giving listeners all that for us? Yeah, so I am a primarily a real estate agent here in the Tampa Bay area of Florida. Um, I got started in real estate a little bit through investing and just have been trying to kick off a career in real estate ever since, um, starting to like kind of change from owning a job to owning a business. And that's where I'm at right now. Very cool. That's really exciting because, you know, it's not every day where you hear a young 20 something year old starting their own business. And so I'm assuming there's a lot of hurdles. There's a lot of challenges that go into all that. But before we do actually dive into those details, I wanted to kind of explore your, your background a little bit. So you said you're currently a real estate agent. And I wanted to know, like, did you go to school for that or did you get your degree in something else? Yeah, right. So <laughs> when I first went to college, so I'm a, I'm a first uh like graduate of my family right so my mom and my dad you know got their GEDs and their high school degrees and stuff like that um so when I went to college I was like you know and and it's weird it's funny rather because there's moments throughout my life where people have told me like you're going to be super successful one day so like my only focus was ever like just to be successful right so I went to college and I actually went to school to be an anesthesiologist Right. So I was a bio major freshman year. They put me in bio one, chem one, um, college algebra, comp one. So those were like my first 12 credits. Right. I got like D, D, F, C. <laughs> I ended up after my first year, I had like a 1.6 was ineligible to play football. My coach had me come to his office and he was like, yo, you got to do something because 1.6, we can't get you on the field. You got to have at least a 180. Oh, wow. So. What's funny is, so that I took that my first semester, right? And then I go and I meet with my my advisor. And at Division two school, you don't have like student athlete advisors. You just have regular student advisors, right? So I go to my advisor and I go, so what should I take? You know, I, I basically flunked out of college my first semester. And then second semester, he put me in bio two, chem two, 
like the next college algebra, like college algebra two, whatever, comp two. And then I had one elective. So I got an A in the elective. It was like a dance class. And then again, D, D, F, C, or something Damn. like that. So that's how I ended up with the one, the one six. Um, so shortly after, I changed to a general education degree and ended up going to school for marketing, got a bachelor's degree in marketing, and had no intention of actually doing anything business-related post-college. Wow. So you were like, were you devastated when that happened? When you, you had this like vision for yourself, and all of a sudden you got the report card back, you're like... Uh, maybe things need to change a little bit. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I thought I thought I wanted to be an anesthesiologist because they made like five hundred grand a year or whatever, yeah. right? And I was like, maybe I'm not built for this. <laughs> this is just different, you know. So I wasn't necessarily devastated, but I had something to figure out, and I guess I figured it out. <laughs> wow. So you said uh, you briefly said that you played football. Um, what 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 position were you? So I played cornerback. Cornerback. Okay. Um, so yep. that must have been tough playing a Division two school. I, I'd imagine it was, like, super demanding. Do you think that something that you did or your experience in football, did that help you now? Any things that you learned playing football that help you with your business now? So for the people that are listening that, like, really know football, they think that a cornerback is just a guy on the field that – um, covers the receiver right and to an extent that is the case but the mental aspect of being a corner like you got to be the top dog on the field you got to be ready to be put on an island and what was really funny is in high school all we did was play zone defense mm -hmm. right so my responsibility was to cover a certain area of the field when I moved to college I was quickly transitioned to just man coverage zero blitz type defense where they're sending eight you know seven eight guys at the quarterback and literally it's just mano y mano me on him that's it so uh, my freshman year and my sophomore year i really struggled with the mindset of what it took to just dominate a dude for freaking the whole game right so um it i think the mental aspect it put me through a lot of adversity because i failed a lot right um and my coaches would you know, any anybody who has played college sports know that the coaches are just basically relentless. Like, they are ruthless on you, you know. So they, they let – and not just me, but all the players who are messing up on film, they let you have it, you know. You're sitting there with your guys, other corners, DBs or whatever, and y'all are watching film. And if you fail, I mean, not only did you see it, you know, that Saturday when you guys played, but you're going to see it again on film day. So it built – I, I think it helped to sculpt the character that I have. And I've always kind of had that, like, it is what it is type mindset, right? Um, stoicism, if you will. But I think college and just, like, playing man coverage for basically four years, like, really developed my character. <laughs> Did that Definitely. actually work, playing man-to-man -man all the time? Yeah, yeah, it does. We had a dude, uh, my coach was Coach Patton. Coach Patton was the hardest dude out there. Like, he was... I don't know. You know, he was he was one of those, <laughs> yeah, coaches, yeah, yeah. right? But he was calm. He was calm till he messed up. Man, I remember he used to just he used to get on me if I mess up an assignment. He would just get on me, and not just me. Like we were a very young team. Um, but yeah, I mean, it, the the whole concept behind playing man coverage and blitz defenses and stuff like that is so you can pressure the quarterback to make the, to make poor mistakes, mm -hmm. right? So. Yeah, I guess it does work. <laughs> <laughs> I think it's like so strange and not strange, but like really interesting that 
these little things that you do throughout your life that put you in uncomfortable positions, that put you in areas that really challenge yourself, like playing football in a specific defensive position that like requires a lot of hard work, it slowly trickles into like your adult life when you're trying to like start your business or you're trying to start a new endeavor or your venture. And like, you're like, well, wait, I have this discipline because of that experience, or I have this mindset because of that experience. And it helped me, like you said, shape the way you think and, and do your habits now. Um, and it's not, it's like just weird to like realize that I think uh, several years later, when you're removed from that situation, but when you're actually experiencing it, it definitely does feel a little bit overwhelming. And it kind of feels like, oh, the world like has this huge like pressure on my shoulders and I don't know what to do. Yeah, the one thing I will say, you know, from that is, I mean, every day you just got to go on and know that you're built for this. You know, you, you just got to go on each and every day, you know, life happens, right? You know, if you ever see like the scale of an entrepreneur, it's up, down, up, down, mm-hmm. up, down. And then your your lowest of lows, I was just talking about this today with somebody, and your lowest of lows, you just got to see the big spectrum of things and just say like, I'm built for this. I've been through worse. What is this today? Right? It's in the grand scheme of things. It's nothing. That brings up a really good point. A lot of times when you're going through it, it's hard for you to see the bigger picture, right? Like when you're going through it and let's say you're losing money every single month because something messed up, or maybe like, uh, like you say, you're getting yelled at by someone right after you fail the test, right? You go to practice, they yeah. mess up the practice, they, then your coach yells at you and have all these things happening to you. What advice do you give? Like, what exactly do you do in that state? Like when you're really down, and it's hard for you to see the bigger picture. Like, what what would you do in that moment? What have you done? So, th- there was one key moment in my life when I graduated from college. I came home and I went through a season. Right, this season was just terrible. Like six, seven months of just going through. Like, man, what am I doing? You know, this, that, and the third. And then, all of a sudden, one day, you know, building up, like, what I'm, you know, asking myself, what am I doing? What am I doing every single day? Right. I was driving home from the gym and I said, this is just a season of my life, right? I'm going to live, you know, God willing, 80, 90, 100 years, the way health, you know, and technology is going, maybe 150 years, right? People are saying that. Um, what is what is a year? What is What is six months now in comparison to the next 60, 70 years of my life, mm. right? So I always reflect on that whenever there's a season going on and, and it, maybe it is like the backbone of like my stoicism, right? where I'm able to kind of like hide my emotions, but I reflect on that moment where I'm able to basically just like forget about what's going on now and just try to see like the bigger picture of things. So along the same uh, vein, like you say that during these, pre- these, these moments, you're able to see the bigger picture, right? I'd imagine that growing yeah. up, you said that people always expected you to succeed, right? And you're a first generation yeah. graduate. So there was probably even more pressure. You know, uh, what was that like? Could you, could you build, could you explain that a little bit more? Like, what was it like to have that much pressure on you to try and succeed in your life? You know what? I, I always thought that school was very easy because I approached it with minimal effort, right? I was not the A plus honor student or, you know, whatever they call it in college. Actually, I don't even know. <laughs> so I can't tell you what, what kind of advanced classes there were, right? So, 
I always approached school with minimal effort, just knowing that I wanted to attend or to attain some sort of level of success, right? I didn't, I didn't have a definition of that level of success. Now, now I have a clear picture of what that looks like. But then it was just like, get my degree. As long as I get my degree, that's enough. So I never really felt like an internal or like an external pressure. My mom was, has always been supportive of me. I could have failed out with straight Fs four years in a row and she would have still supported me, you know? Mm-hmm. So I'm very thankful for something like that. Dad, same thing. You know, he's just, they're both there as a support system to, to say, you know, you can fail or you can pass, you know, either way we'll be proud of you and, and the steps that you've taken so far. Yeah. And it goes to show that the people within your circle, people within your network and your family, that support that they give and the motivation that they're able to provide to you, even when you're feeling down can take you a hundred miles from the point of, on like your lowest point. And having said that, like in any journey that you take, whether it's personal or something that you want to grow in terms of growing a business, like those, those mentors, those people that are there are the ones that are going to really be able to lift you up. And so kind of going into that realm of things, like how did you first start out in real estate? Like, did you have someone that guided you towards that path? Yeah. So, you know, during that season I was talking about a little bit earlier, that six to seven months where I had no idea what I was doing. So the only reason I had that six to seven months is because I hated living in the state that I was living in so much that I finished the rest of my degree online and moved home. Right. So I moved home like that spring semester, um, finished out my degree online and I end up flying back to walk across the stage. But in that kind of like, you know, I guess the, the buffer time, if you will. Um, I was doing like ballet, applying to jobs. I thought it was a big shot because um, I had my degree at the time. I was like, you know what? I got this bachelor's degree. I can apply anywhere, you know, get my social security and then like just be set until I retire when I'm 65 and I'll be solid, right? Well, uh, reality came knocking on the door yeah. and I couldn't get it hired <laughs> by anywhere because I had no experience. Right. You know, how do you, how are you supposed to, you expect to uh, hire someone with a business degree or like a sales degree, right? And you have no experience in sales. You have no, no experience in, in managing businesses or anything like that. Um, so as I'm going through this, I had been, uh, I'd been working at valet for like two months and just like on the most random occasion ever, like I kid you not, I don't know what popped into my head. I go to my high school, my old high school, alma mater, um, Colorado Central Catholic. And I'm talking to the head coach. I'm like, coach, I don't know what I want to do. I'm thinking about getting into real estate. I said, you know anybody? He's like, actually, there's a kid on our team, and his dad flips like 20 houses a year. I can connect you with him if you want to. So that was kind of like the first step for me, Mm -hmm. right? It was like, there's this guy that does real estate. What's next? So that was the, the start of my journey. Wow. So was he, did he act as a mentor to you that, that, uh, that teammate's dad? Yeah. So it, he's, uh, he's honestly kind of like, it's like that, uh, like the rich dad, poor dad scenario, yeah. right? It's like you got some guy that's teaching you about money and then, you know, adversely you have a guy that's telling you to be conservative with your money and like don't invest and that's that and the other. And that's just the background that I came from. Cause that's all my parents ever knew. So it's funny cause he ran me through a couple of tests. He said, yeah, Calvin, I'm, you know, I, 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 I take you on as a mentee call me tomorrow at, at noon, right? So I'm sitting there. In football, if you're late to an appointment, you're running gassers, you're up at like four o'clock in the morning doing this, that, and the other. So I'm sitting there watching the clock at 11.59, right? 
clock strikes 12, I'm calling him. As soon as it goes on, he's like, all right, good. That was a test. <laughs> I'm like, all right, done. Right? I got that one. I got that one nailed. Um, and he's like, all right, meet me at Starbucks tomorrow at 2 o'clock and we can discuss. And it's funny, like, reflecting on the mindset that I had then, um, I was very much so a consumer. I was coming from the, you know, the background that I had. I'm like, you know, I'll get into real estate, make a whole lot of money. I'm going to buy these nice cars. I was like, I want a Tesla. I want a Beamer. I want a Benz. I want all this stuff. Mm. Which those things are nice. And eventually <clears> I have that goal of obtaining those items. But that was like my main, that was the only reason why I wanted to get into real estate is to make a lot of money. Right? And <laughs> be like that guy that gets the flex. <laughs> For sure. <laughs> so, yeah, he ran me through a couple of tests. Um, and then, you know, the, the kind of like my, uh, my onboarding, if you will, um, he had a, he had one of his partners went down Kevin from Boise, Idaho, um, where he, they were partners. He was like the feet on the street and Kevin was like, uh, basically like the funding manager. And we walked maybe like three or four properties. He gave me the scale of contractors work. I just took notes throughout those, those property walkthroughs. Um, he told me how much it costs to replace flooring, uh, re redo paint, baseboards, this, that, and the other. Basically, just went through a whole house. Like I can walk through a house right now from flooring to the roof and give you an estimate on um, how much it's going to cost to rehab. Um, and so after that one day, three or four properties, that was it. I was off on my own. Wow. I want to touch upon something that you said where uh, you said before, I don't know if you still have this mindset, but like you, you're, you were the type of guy that was like, just trying to flex. Like you wanted the money because you wanted to spend the money, right? You wanted to show off that Absolutely. you got money. Right. And to be honest, um, I had the same mindset when I was in college, right? That was one of the, that was probably 50% of the reason why I chose engineering because I thought I was going to make a ton of money. <laughs> I could buy myself a Beamer. I could get myself a big house. I could finally buy myself the, the sneakers I wanted, the clothes I wanted, go on trips, whatever, right? And then what happened to me was I started making that money. <laughs> and I was like, huh, one, it's not as much as I thought. And two, after I started reading about you know finance and Rich Dad, Poor Dad, I know you read that book, I realized that this money is has a lot better use elsewhere. I still want those things, but I have to be patient a little bit, right? So what changed in you from the mindset you had before to now risk like in how you use your money today? So, you know, it was really just meeting my mentor. So my mentor is a part of a group called Go Abundance, mm -hmm. which they mention a lot on like other podcasts and stuff. Um, and Go Abundance is basically a tribe of healthy, wealthy men that live that lead epic and generous lives. Right. So he kind of gave me that four one one on like okay, yeah, that's, that stuff's cool. Like, I told him these things in our meeting. I was like, yeah, I want a Tesla, live on the water. Like, mm -hmm. these are all good end goals, right, when I've, when I've created success for myself, like, the, the smart way. Um, but he said, have you ever read Rich Dad, Poor Dad? And Rich Dad, Poor Dad was the kind of start for um, finance and learning about finance. And one thing that's very interesting that, you know, realizing after the fact is they don't teach you how to manage your money in school. Right. It's mm -hmm. not their responsibility that the responsibility of school is to create an employee. Right. And then you graduate from college. You spend three hundred thousand dollars on a house. You buy a forty thousand dollar car. You get married. You have a kid, you know, and you're 22, 23 years old with all this debt. Right. Yep. And then you spend the rest of your life paying it off. You know, so you get stuck in that rat race, that wheel. Um, so reading Rich Dad, Poor Dad was like 
just the start. Um, my mentor, you know, led the horse to the water. He didn't teach me how to drink, but I learned how to drink after he led me to the water. Um, so right from Merced Port Ed, it was just like a snowball effect. I just started diving into financial education, diving into how to build assets rather than liabilities, and just going from there. That's really powerful. And I like that you mentioned that you realize, you know, like it's kind of a rat race, like school's only meant to, to really fund and teach you one type of trajectory and one type of path. Go to high school, go to college, work in corporate America, and then work there for 40 years, spend your life just like grinding for you to retire when you're like 65 or older, which is a little bit depressing if you think about it. It's like, there's not a lot of, a lot of excitement in that whole journey, right? But when you think about other options, like what is kind of uh, dictated and described in Rich Dad, Poor Dad, so, you know, what if you take a different route? What if you don't go the traditional route? For example, sometimes I think about, I went to school for engineering. So like, what if I would have gone to a vocational like trade school where I learned how to become like electrician or plumber? Those are, those trades are things that are dying currently, like they're on a decline, but there's tons of money to be made there right? No one told me that buying real estate was something that I could invest in with little to no money, right? I assumed because school taught me a specific way and what was projected in like educational videos or like just TV that I had to have a lot of capital in order to even begin to start thinking about real estate. And while there is a little bit of a larger entry to that than other forms of like gaining assets, like it's just like, wait, you're telling me that I can create assets with like this little bit of money, like as a, I can create money with being a 16 year old, I can, I can gain money like in college, even though I'm broke. Right. And there's like different paths. It's just, it's really interesting. And, and I think the world needs to hear about this more, which is why I really like that you found your mentor and he kind of taught you all these little things that helped you get to where you are today. And I do want to add, you know, all great points and, and what I said, you know, about, just working through corporate corporate America is not bad by any means, right? Corporate America can be your step to financial freedom as long as you use it as such. As long as you don't Agreed. depend on it, you know, become dependent on it, right? You can use it for networking opportunities. You can use it as a path to have secure and proper income, right? So like there's so many times throughout my just, I've only been in real estate for, this will be like my fourth year that I wish like, I wish I could start with a stable income. So that way I had a, a set amount that I could save and put towards assets. Right. So there is, there are rather, there are advantages towards having a nine to five. You just have to see those good things of it and take advantage of them. Right. Yeah. That's really well said. I totally agree with what you said. I think when I started corporate America is not bad, right? It could be, like you said, the jumping point to getting yourself that one asset that is like passively get like just generating tons of cash and money for you. And then your side, and then your side hustle then is your, your W2, your nine to five, which is really cool. If you think about it, if that eventually happens. Yeah. To expand on yeah. that, I, I, I gotta say, man, but first of all, thank you both for saying that because I really dislike when I see that on social media, you see these financial gurus just hating on a nine to five, like, Oh, if you're a nine to five, you're, you're wasting your <laughs> life. You're wasting your time, get in and start a business. Like, I personally, I'm I'm either or, right? In my opinion, I'm all about just live and let live. Like whatever works for you, as long as you're making the right decisions with your vehicle, do it. You know, I don't care what it is. It could be a nine to five or it could be your own business or whatever it is, right? I don't hate on anyone being a nine to five or being a business owner. 
as long as you're using that income correctly, right, outside of nine to five, outside the business, then it doesn't really matter where the capital comes from, as long as it's consistent and you're working at it and you like what you're doing. I mean, how many people get a raise and they just spend their money? Exactly. Right? They, people talk about that all the time. It's like, you know, you get in this, you get in this, you know, I love, I love that you called it a vehicle, right? So it's a vehicle. You get in this nine to five, you get in this vehicle. And let's say you go from, you know, making just for simple math, a thousand dollars a month and you're spending $800 a month for living. Right. And then you go up to $2,000 a month and then you increase that to $1,800 a month. You're not doing yourself any justice by mm-hmm. just spending more money because you are given that buffer. That means you should save more. You should invest more. You should do these things that can you can have your nine to five be a vehicle and get you to that next stepping stone. Agreed. And I always like to say that the best raise you can give yourself is an extra savings because that's not that's tax free. Whatever you save, yep. whatever you put more in your more in your pocket, that's actually money that you get tax free, and that you can consider that your raise once you cut out some expenses. Yeah, definitely. I'm in agreement with all these things. Yeah. So I wanted to also like touch upon your investment strategies and kind of like your investment portfolio. Would you mind giving us like a broad picture of what it looks like today and how maybe you plan to grow it? Yeah. So right now I'm like real baby steps, right? So I purchased my first uh, primary residence last year, which I house hacked. Um, so it offsets my mortgage payment for those of you that don't know what house hacking is. I'm sure people like everybody knows now. <laughs> We're um, avid house, house hackers. Hack. Yep. <laughs> yep. Yep. So since my, uh, expenses are decreased, I'm able to store away more money. Um, in which is, I, I'm just now talking to my financial advisor about putting it in some account that makes like two to 3% a year. It's not penalized when you um, withdraw from it and basically just putting like all my tax money for my commissions and stuff like that into this account and funding it. So it's getting like two to 3% per year or whatever. Um, but I've actually just applied for a, re- a cash out refinance since the equity has been going crazy over the last year, right? So in our market, we've seen like 26% on average. So I'm going to tap into the equity and then I'm going to go use the minimal down and just keep on rolling over in this house hacking stuff. I can rent my house out and put it on Airbnb. Um, I got to see what I can rent it for. If it's like a annual lease versus um, like short-term rental, but I'm just going to tap into my equity and go buy another primary residence in which I'll house, I'll have, I'll house hack out too. So I, I love house hacking. So I want to keep going on this. Um, how did you, is it a single family residence or is it a multifamily? It's single family. Okay. So can you speak to having roommates? Cause I think one of the things that people don't like about house hacking is the fact that you have to live with tenants. A lot of people think they're above having roommates or whatever the case may be. Uh, personally, I house hacked the very first house hack I had was a three bed, two bath condo. I rent out the other two rooms. I didn't think anything of it. Like I really didn't think it was that bad. Like, can you speak to that to people who say, having roommates isn't for them yeah so in my market um and again all the financial gurus are like buy quadplex yeah. right you know how much a quadplex costs in my market 900 grand <laughs> yeah good luck with yeah. that right so i'd rather buy a single family home for two three hundred grand where the mortgage payment is a thousand dollars a month mm-hmm. and then i can rent a room for comparable um market rents for eight hundred dollars a month and then all of a sudden and split you know, the things that they don't talk about is splitting your utilities, your Wi-Fi, 
all of these things are split. So it's significantly reducing my costs out of pocket. Um, so yeah, I mean, house hacking for me significantly saves me money. Yeah. I have a single family as well and I have roommates. And at first I was like, I've experienced a time where I had roommates and then I lived on my own. I didn't, and I got used to that. But then after finding my house hack and just getting tenants in, it's really easy. Like you don't think about it. You, you, there's a, if, if they are random people that you've never met before and they're not really like connected to you in any social circles, it's pretty easy to just keep a very professional, like, like just tenant to landlord relationship or just like a regular roommate relationship. You set up your rules, you, you split the utilities, which is very nice. <laughs> you know, you cut it into right. a third than what you usually would have paid maybe. So it, it definitely facilitates a lot. And then all that, that money that you would have spent on your rent or that money that you would have spent living on your own can fund your investments, can go and fund like a savings and you can save up for the next house hack or the next, next like quadplex, you know? Right. And that's and to answer your question. I got super lucky with mine. Mm-hmm. Um, my roommate is from the college that I went to in West Virginia and he came down here and thankfully enough, he was like super clean. Cause like I'm super picky and like OCD about like picking up after myself and stuff. Um, so he came down here and, you know, we meshed well with living together because you don't live well with everybody, right? You right. Can't live in your best friend because you guys are tight. Like when you move in with someone, you really like find out who they truly are. Exactly. Um, so we we meshed really well. Um, so, yeah, I, I just got lucky. But other than that, people don't realize you can interview your tenants. Like you can go to like their residence that they currently live at and see like how messy they are, see how they pick up after themselves and stuff. Man, and the thing I want to touch on is like a lot of people think that living with roommates, it's a sacrifice. Like, It's really not a sacrifice. It's a slight inconvenience. And you're trading that for tip- the typical housing expenses, a third of the average person's income. Right. So you're you're yeah. saving a third of your income back in your pocket. You can use that to pay off debt. You can use that to reinvest. You can use that to save for some of the flashy stuff you want. I don't recommend it, but you know, that's, that's another option, right? (laughs) You're you're, the loan is getting paid down. The property is appreciating. You get tax benefits. Like I, this is my favorite real estate investing strategy. I think it's perfect for someone coming right out of college up until you're, I don't know, late twenties, early thirties. It's the easiest way to build wealth too. Especially if you like, like my, like, again, my main focus is I'll attack this one. I've attacked it long enough. I've built enough equity. I'm just going to go buy my next primary residence and rent this out to, you know, full-time tenants. So, and it, it'll cash flow to the point where I'm able to, you know, um, account for my CapEx expenses and we're all good. So another thing I want to touch upon before we move on is uh, still in real estate. I want to talk about you being a real estate agent, right? You've been in this, how long have you been an agent, a licensed agent? So I got licensed in September of 2017. 2017. It was like fall of 2017, sometime August or September or something. Okay, so four years roughly. Um, mm-hmm. So what do you th- what do you think is something that makes you a good real estate agent? What qualities do you think quali- qualities do you think someone has to have in order to be a successful person in this business? So speaking for me, everyone has different purposes, right? Speaking for me, I'm super passionate about others building wealth. Like I check in with my people and I'll send them like CMAs, right? And I'll be the first person to tell them like, yo, you better hold this house forever and just tap into the equity and go buy your second and go buy your next primary residence. Like mm-hmm. I'm advising the way that I would, what, what I would do with that residence or like that investment or whatever it is. 
So I love to see that people are making a ton of money through this particular vehicle, you know, the one that I'm able to advise for. And I'm keeping my finger on the pulse of the market at, at all times, right? I, I know that our market has evolved and, and has has changed tremendously since all of this stuff that has come out with the news and, you know, the, the pandemic and, and everything else. But to that same token, our market has appreciated by 26%. So a lot of people have built a ton of a ton of wealth through this. So would you consider yourself more of a seller's agent or a buyer's agent? And do you specialize in like just investor friend? Like, are you an investor friendly agent? Or would you say like, I'm trying to find, trying to get people to find their primary residence, like their forever home? Yeah, I, I do it all. I mean, I, I, I'll be the first person that, um, or not the first person, but you know, someone, what sets me apart with working in, with investors is I understand what ROI means. I know what types of returns investors are looking for. I know how to build a recession-proof portfolio. I can advise them. I can walk through a house and, and give them a contractor's bid. You know, I, I can do all of these things. Um, so I help investors in that regard. I help sellers in the regard of um, being able to give them like an appraisal approach for pricing. Because my, my, so my mentor's wife, Nicole, Chris and Nicole uh, really helped me and my buddy, Kason. We actually like, were basically their their mentees for eight months, you know, as they were acquiring acquiring properties, and they taught us how to price homes like an appraiser. They taught us how to walk through properties and um, give it an accurate estimate for rehab. You know, taught us like, okay, if you're going to rehab a property and you don't want to put eighty thousand dollars into it, what what would be the bare minimum that you can do to still get top dollar, right? All of these things they taught us. So to answer your question, you know, investors, buyers, sellers. It doesn't matter. Mansion, mansions, the mobiles, mobiles, the mansions. There's another question I have uh, on being a real estate agent. This is something I ask a lot of real estate agents and I get mixed reviews. Do you think it's necessary to be an agent in order to invest in real estate? Do you think everybody who invests in real estate should have a license? No, but I think it can be helpful. Mm. Not in the aspect of like scouting deals on the MLS, but helpful in the regards of being able to save commission on listing your own properties, you know, if you are to flip them um, and, and acquire, you know, on the acquisition side of it, be able to apply, um, I guess it depends on your circumstance, but apply those commissions towards your closing costs. You know, it, it depends, but I, I, I don't think it hurts you at all. I mean, the only thing that you have to do is disclose to people that you're a licensed agent. Um, when you're going through wholesale contracts and stuff like that. I've heard a lot of other like financial gurus who are into real estate. They, they usually will say like really briefly, Oh, I'm a licensed real estate agent. Um, they don't, they don't necessarily use it actively, but they use it to like browse the MLS and find like decent deals, something that's like, or maybe off market. And they kind of can, can network themselves into getting that property some somehow, some way. Right. But I think that as long mm-hmm. as you have a real estate agent that is like working for you and is working towards the goals that you want to achieve with the next property you want to acquire, then I think you're pretty set and you don't necessarily need a real estate license to be that avid investor that you want to be. Right. Yeah, I agree with that. Um, I, I guess the, the main thing that I would say, like for getting your real estate license, if you're an investor, just find an investor friendly brokerage, right? That doesn't cost an arm and a leg or charge you 20 or 30% you know, for each sale that you make, or, you know, allows you to wholesale all of these things amongst others. 
Um, but you're kind of just cutting out the middleman, right? You don't need a, a, somebody to write a contract for you. You don't need to need someone to scout deals for you on the MLS. You can kind of just do all of that by yourself. And, you know, the fees are minimal, a hundred bucks a month for a flat fee brokerage usually. Um, and then you have, uh, like a, another hundred bucks a month for your, your dues, your MLS fees or your realtor fees or whatever. It depends on the area, obviously, but man, I, I would just rather be, you know, have my hands in the pot and be able to source my own deals and stuff if, if I were just primarily an investor. I want to shift gears just a little bit. I want to ask you uh, a little bit of a personal question. What exactly is it today that drives you? You know, what what, is, what, what what's your passion? What's something in your life that's like making you want to do more? So I actually like, they always ask you like, what's your why? What's your why? Right, I was right. never someone that was able to like, clearly identify that why um but kind of just like looking back on like how it was like brought up like mm. you know being brought up in not necessarily like affordable housing but um in lower income areas um there's a lot of inequities in, in a lot of communities in america so um at one point just like last year my, my focus was truly just to like give back to the youth but why just give back to the youth when you can give back to all of the inequities in the community, right? When you can serve your community directly. So that, that's, that I think has been my purpose as of recently. And since doing that, like I got uh, on the board of our Suncoast Housing Solutions, which um, is basically down payment assistance and grants and loans that is given through the county um, to first time home buyers. And then I'm looking to get in, involved with this um, organization called the YAC Collective, which is uh, focuses on inequities in communities, specifically in the St. Petersburg area. I think, in my personal opinion, like one of the main problems in these in these communities. Well, I mean, there's there's a bunch of problems as to why there's inequities, but one of the main problems is a lack of information. You know what I mean? Right. Is that something that you prioritize? Like, do you make sure that you're not only like be there physically and helping people, but do you make sure that you actually give the right information to people to better themselves? Right. Yeah, it, I would say I do. Um, and sometimes I like second guess myself, right? right. I, I really want to focus on video and producing content. Mm. But my my mind tells me like, oh, what if I mess this up? Right. So it's 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 something that I'm actually currently getting over. I'm sure you know, a month from now, I'll probably be over it. But um, just because it's in transition, but um, just making sure I have accurate information to give people um, rather than faulty information. I want to be, you know, that resource for them at the end of the day. If you were to guide someone to a specific like resource that you're like, hey, I really learned a lot from this and I think you would too, um, besides yourself, like where would you direct them to? Besides yourself so, and uh, Money Curious. <laughs> <laughs> besides myself and besides Money Curious. No, Money Curious is awesome because it's super intro level. Um, you know, it, 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 I think Money Curious helps people to understand like you don't have to be like, from a super wealthy family to invest in real estate or right. invest in any avenue or be financially independent, right? Um, but to answer your question generally, I would say the easiest way to do this is to replace all of the time you spend in entertainment and start spending your time in education. So mm. all you have to do is go on Amazon and look up, you know, financial book and order the top five, read all five of those, you know, and now you're financially educated basically, right? So just, I think that our issue is though, is, is people, you know, want to bench watch Netflix, which is fine, but 
keep it to a degree, right? They want to listen to music 24-7, you know, rather than listening to podcasts or audibles. They want to scroll on their phone rather than reading a book. So if you can just find time in the day to replace just 20 minutes, you know, of scrolling on a phone or binge watching Netflix or listening to music or whatever it is and just put it into education, I think, you know, you're starting to see some progress towards towards that goal. I think that's great advice, man. I mean, I know for a fact with me, um, when I made the switch from listening to music in my car to listening to podcasts, it was right after I got out of school. And literally six months after I got out of school, I ended up buying my first house, my first property. And I was like, oh, yeah. okay, I, I guess this validates this method, huh? So I'm going to just always listen to podcasts now. Because <laughs> what people don't know is it actually brainwashes you. Yep, ex- you know? exactly. It, brain, it brainwashes exactly. you towards something positive, you know, rather than listening to, you know, these crazy lyrics that they come out with all the time, which, you know, I like I like trap music, right. you know. I like I like to listen to the beat. I like to listen to the new songs that come out. Like, I still haven't listened to the new Drake and Kanye yet, but... Um, I listen to a little bit of Drake. I gotta get there too. <laughs> I haven't listened to him either. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. People looking at me like I got three eyes because I haven't listened to him yet. Um, but yeah, if you if you can just make a little bit of time, um, per day, you know, eventually you'll start spending your time in that all the time, and you'll end up brainwashing yourself to believe that you know I can be the next millionaire of my family. Definitely. Oh my gosh, I love it. I love that that like that's one of your quotes. You know, I want to be the next millionaire of my family. So let's talk about a little bit just how you set your long-term goals like do you have them ready or is there an idea in your head of like what you might want them to be yeah so two three years ago i think um i was serving as a volunteer for one of these go abundance groups right so that's how i'm able to get involved and be like a fly on the walls i volunteer for the events um and we did a five-year vision plan so by 30 years old, I had reached the net worth of a million dollars. I had been on Forbes 30 for 30. I have this whole article that I writ that or that I wrote um, from like what would it be third person, the third person perspective of like Calvin is this, Calvin mm-hmm. is that, right? Um, but yeah, just reviewing my goals every day, um, knowing and being crystal clear on my images that uh, that I want to obtain and my goals, and yeah. Very nice. I think that writing a five-year vision plan is super helpful. We, I, I listened to a podcast before with um, Bigger Pockets, and Brandon Turner was talking about creating his mission and vision, and how he literally has wrote wrote it down and then printed it on like a newspaper article that hangs in his office or something. And I'm like, oh my gosh! And you know, like if you look at that every day and you see that it's something that can come to fruition, um, you'll start making those changes and those steps to like really get there and reach that that goal. You know. Yeah, every every year, you know, people do like vision boards, like they cut cuttings out of a magazine and stuff. Like that's the fun aspect and the fun way to do it. But um, my guy Matt Aitchison actually taught me to go on Canva and create a um a, like a collection where you can put like twenty images on or whatever. And I get super specific about my goals, right? You want to have your smart goals. So I have all of my smart goals on my annual goal um my annual um review sheet, right? And I have that posted on a wall so that way i'm able to look at those i'm able to know like okay i want to do x amount of income per year i want to do x amount of sales per year i want to do this and that i want to go to these trips so i'm super specific on what i want to do during that year that's awesome 
So Calvin, I really enjoyed our conversation today. I think Estine can say the same thing. You provided some really great insights into, you know, your myth, your your mindset, how you've gotten some of your mentors, how you maintain that net mentorship and how you kind of network throughout your real estate agent journey. So kudos to you for everything that you're doing and everything that, everything that you're already planning to do, you know, with all your, your five-year vision plan. So we were really glad to have you on the podcast. So thank you so much for reaching out. Absolutely. Thank you guys for having me. I really appreciate it. Yeah. And I did want to give you the opportunity to really let the listeners know where they can find you. And you said you're located in the Tampa Bay area in Florida, but what are some of your social media handles if people can like contact you? My IG is at Calvin Pringles. I'm, I promise you, I'm the only Calvin Pringles probably <laughs> on the face of the earth. <laughs> so you could have no issues following me there. Um, I think my, my Facebook's kind of like private. So you have to be like a friend of a friend to like add me, but I mean, I, I, I do a lot of um, funneling of like just working real estate business um, on Instagram. So I'm always on there. Um, I love connecting with people that are like-minded, people that have questions or um, people that just want to like talk about different topics that are for like just balling out, you know, so reach out to me on IG, I guess. Very nice. Cool. All right. Well, make sure to add that in the show notes. Sweet. All righty. Well, thank you again for joining us on the podcast. That's a wrap.